Tonight we're looking at the tabernacle, the tabernacle. And we're going to look and read a verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So if you turn there, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we will read a verse and uh, introduce the tabernacle and then go through the, the, the different things on the screen in a few moments. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. This is really a great verse to introduce the tabernacle. Because tonight we're going to compare ourselves with the tabernacle. Now, you know we are actually referred to in the Bible as a temple and as a tabernacle, right? So we're going to do that comparison tonight. Some of the great, great messages over the history of time have been on that subject. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, when you find it, stand with me. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body. Reverse order, because we always say body, soul, and spirit. And we'll look at it in the reverse order tonight. And it talks about here being sanctified or being whole, being holy. And that's very important. And that's what we're going to talk about, the holiness of the tabernacle tonight. God bless us. Lord, we need you every moment of every hour, and we need you in this hour to teach us that your Holy Spirit will make clear the instruction tonight about the tabernacle, and that we will learn a little bit more about you and be a little closer to you as a result of your word. Bless now, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. The best comparison to the tabernacle is to use our body as an example. We are comprised of body, soul, and spirit. And the tabernacle had three divisions, an outer court, a holy place, and the most holy place. And scholars for centuries have compared our bodies to the outer court, our soul to the holy place, and our spirit to the most holy place. And we will look at that comparison tonight as we study this. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to divide what? The soul from the spirit. There's a difference in your soul and spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The tabernacle was a, a temporary portable temple. They would take it down, pack it up, and move it. And it, it started in the time of Moses and went for 500 years. It lasted from Moses when they made the thing until the time of David, when David collected the materials and said to Solomon, build a house of God, a permanent house. But until that permanent house was constructed, they had this tabernacle, and they carried it around in the wilderness. The first temple was constructed by Solomon, and we know Solomon built a great temple. David kept the materials and assembled the materials, and Solomon built the temple. And then in 586, which we talked about this morning, when Babylon came in, they destroyed Solomon's temple. And in 520, about 60 years later, 60-some years later, 66, I guess, Zerubbabel built another temple and uh, another beautiful structure. And then when Herod came along, and by the way, Herod was not a good person. He was an Edomite. He hated Jews. He just wanted to be known as Herod the Great Builder. That's why he's called the Great. He wasn't a great person. He was a terrible person. He's an Edomite and hated Jews. But he beautified the temple, and so it was known a lot as Herod's temple, even though it was really Zerubbabel's with Herod's modification. And that lasted until A.D. 70, 70 years after the duration of Christ on the earth. It was destroyed by Rome. 
And you know the Bible calls us both temples and tabernacles, doesn't it? First Corinthians 3, excuse me, I'm going too fast, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, again, we're the temple of God. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're compared to the tabernacle. We're going to have a new tabernacle, it says one day. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, I am in this tabernacle, but shortly I must put this tabernacle off. So our bodies are compared to the temple and the tabernacle. And remember, the tabernacle was a temporary place. And when the permanent structure was done, they didn't need it anymore. So they built the tabernacle, and then later built the temple. Now, the tabernacle was built with specific instructions. If you read Exodus 25 to 30, it'll tell you exactly the dimensions, the materials, and everything that was involved in building the tabernacle. But the temple was not built with specific instructions. It was built according to Solomon's plans, was built the same way, but the dimensions and so forth were different. Tonight we're going to concentrate on the tabernacle and its dimensions and its materials rather than the permanent temple. Remember, the temple was the place of God. In fact, 2 Chronicles tells us even after they constructed the main temple that that was the, the place of God. He was in the most holy place just like he was in the tabernacle. In the most holy place, he was in the ark in the temple. And so he, he was there. And, and we know that, that it was a place to meet God and, and, until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, he said, Ichabod, meaning the glory hath departed. And then when the vow was rent, that was the end of that being the place to meet God. And now after the vow is rent, we can go boldly in the presence of God because we are now priests with God. And so we can go into his presence. But we think about the fact that at one time, that was where God dwelt, and it was so holy you could not enter. Now, there's been three so far temples. There's going to be two more temples because we know in the tribulation period there'll be a temple because they'll have the abomination of desolation. What is that, Pastor? That's where they take pigs and sacrifice a pig and defile the temple, and it angers God. And that will be destroyed. And then we know the Old Testament teaches that Jesus Christ will teach in the millennium in the temple, so there'll be another temple constructed where Jesus will teach. And uh, I like Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, which I'm going to turn to and just read briefly, and then we'll come back to our, our text. But in Revelation chapter 21, it says... Uh, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. That's talking about the future when the new Jerusalem comes down. Just think of that. And God again dwells with his people. But until Jesus said Ichabod, and of course now the Bible teaches that your body is the dwelling place of God. You're a temple, you're a tabernacle. And it's so important to take care of your body. Tonight, someone brought to my attention about we have a lot of drinks coming in the auditorium and to the house of God and, and pointed that out to me. And, and I thought about that. And of course, we want to keep that to a minimum. But I thought about, isn't it interesting how we are so worried and we ought to be, we ought to take care of this place. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. But do you know your body's far more important than this building? Take care of your body because it's the dwelling place of God. It's the most holy place. 
and God lives there. And so we see that. Just a couple of thoughts I don't want to spend time on, but we're not going to talk a lot about this. But outside of the tabernacle, you had Solomon's porch, an area outside. You had the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles weren't allowed in the in, inside the structure at all because Gentiles were not part of God's chosen people. When they did submit to Judaism and trusting there would be a Messiah, then they could go in, but there was a few special cases. But in most cases, Gentiles were considered defiling and couldn't go in. There was also a temple treasury. If you go inside the bronze gate, a court of women outside in the outer walls, there was a court of priests, a lot of things we could talk about. And as I said, this could be a multi-week series we could just spend a whole, whole evening talking about just the colors of the tabernacle or the metals or the animal skins that all speak to something. You have that in your notes, but we're not going to. We're going to just briefly talk about the three main divisions. And I'm going to give you a real brief snapshot now, and then we're going to go into it more in depth in a moment. The outer court, the outer court was accessible to all the Jewish people. And to get into that, they'd have to go through a gate, go through a gate. And in the outer court, you'd have two pieces of bronze furniture. Not the best metal, just bronze. We'll talk about those pieces in a moment. Then you'd go into the next section. The priest only would go through a door. Now, the people would go through a gate. You had the bronze furniture. Then you had the holy place. The priest would go through a door, and you'd have three gold-covered pieces of furniture. The menorah or candlestick, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And then you'd go into the most holy place. We talked about body, soul, and spirit. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And you'd have the best furniture. But you'd go, only the high priest could go there. He could only go once a year, and he'd go through a veil. And that vow, remember, was rent from top to bottom when Jesus died, saying that we can all go into the presence of God. And so you have the people go through a gate, the priest through a door, and the high priest through a veil into the most holy place. And in there you had the best furniture, because that speaks of the Spirit. The closer you are to God, the better things are. And the Spirit had the solid gold mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And in that ark were three magnificent things we'll talk about in just a moment. So if Lisa can put the first shot up there, and this is, this is a, um, a, a, a Shema Shofar. Uh, that's the title of our magazine. We have some in the lobby. The word Shema means to hear, listen, or, or obey. That's how that Hebrew word is translated. One of those three ways, hear, listen, obey. When God says listen, he means to obey. And he would blow this ram's horn, the shofar, to make announcements. And they could really blow that thing. Sometimes you'll have someone who will do that at your church to show you how loud they can be. And they'd get the nation's attention that something great was going to happen. And so you're, here you have someone blowing the ram's horn. Then the second slide, if you just put that up, there's a picture of the wilderness, uh, Lisa. And this is where, well, we'll get it in a minute. Okay, you see the, this is actually a temple, a tabernacle model, not temple, a tabernacle model in the middle of the desert in Arabia. And that's there today, and you can go view that if you go on a tour. And that's, you know, 40 years, remember, Moses wandered in, in the wilderness looking for the promised land, and God didn't reveal it to him because they weren't right with God. And so they would set this up, and they would meet with God and worship God and make their sacrifices in this tabernacle. And then the next slide, we will see now a little closer view of the tabernacle. Now, 
Here is a, a, a view of the tabernacle. It doesn't look great, but you see the, uh, the, the, the actual outer court is 75 feet long, or 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. And remember, the people could go in that outer court. The people could go in that outer court through the gate. And in that outer court, you have two pieces of furniture. If you can uh, move a couple more slides along there, Sister Lisa, thank you. Here is the so-called gate. Now, we know this is temporary, so it's not much of a gate. The temple had a good solid gate, but this is how you go into the outer court. And that's how it was in the wilderness. And the first thing you come to is the sacrificial altar. Now, this is not the Day of Atonement altar. That's in the most holy place. This is the, uh, the bronze altar, and that's not real bronze. But morning and evening, the priests would offer a sacrifice there. And that's the first thing everyone has to do to have any access to God. To be right with God, you have to have a sacrifice in your life. And of course, our sacrifice was the Lord Jesus Christ. So to get close to God, you would have to, you know, ha have that sacrifice offered. And the priest would do that twice a day. The fire was always going. They would burn this sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Did you know that? We don't offer dead sacrifices anymore, but we can offer a living sacrifice. So then you, you see here the, the bronze altar where they offered the sacrifice. And, of course, bronze is a metal that speaks of judgment. And, of course, we know all the different stories in the Old Testament. I mentioned the brass or bronze serpent. Remember how everybody was bitten by snakes and they had to look at that serpent for the snake bike to ease up, for them to survive. And that's all a type uh, of Calvary. But also in here, we have the bronze laver. There's the grate where they would put the sacrifice on top of the altar. And the next slide, we see the laver. This is a place where they would wash. So you have to offer the sacrifice, and then you have to wash. Now, it's interesting because when a priest was initiated into the priesthood, they had to have a complete wash, complete bathe. A, a time of bathing, completely washed. What does Titus 3.5 tell us? That we also need to have an initial washing. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing, by the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. So you see, for us to be saved, we have to be washed by the Holy Spirit. When we repent of our sins, we're washed. And we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. We're regenerated by, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And we're clean. That's a wonderful thing to be clean from your sin. But also what we need to do is daily wash, don't we? See, the priest not only had the initial washing, but they had the daily washing. They'd come in every day and they'd go here and they'd wash up. What does that teach us? 1 John 1, 9. You see, every day we sin... So every day we confess, if we're faithful and just, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us. So we not only have to be saved, but to stay in fellowship with God, we have to go to the laver. That's what that speaks of. And we wash there so that we are clean with God. And I've beat this one Greek word into your mind so much you know it. But the word catheter, Right. It, it, when we're cleansed, that's the same as that word. That's the Greek word catheter, like when you get one stuck in your side or whatever and all the junk comes out. The moment you confess, you're clean. You know, once you admit, con confession is admitting and agreeing with God. 
You don't need to be saved every day. You know, repentance is the initial time when we turn to Christ and we turn from our sin. Confession has to do with fellowship. Our sin's been paid for once for all. The blood of Jesus Christ took care of all of our sins. We don't have to offer sacrifices or animals. We don't have to go into this place and go through all that because we're already saved. But what we have to do is confess our sins to have fellowship with God. Because if you don't confess your sins, you're out of fellowship. He doesn't hear your prayer. When you don't confess your sin, he doesn't hear your prayer. The Bible says, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, God, God is, uh, oh, my mind's going blank. Let's go to Psalm 66, 18. Your iniquities have come between you and God, and he will not hear your prayer. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 is another verse that says, sin has separated you from God. He will not hear you. And I misquoted it, but that's what it says. So when you don't confess your sin, when you get mad at your wife or your husband, or you say something ugly or whatever, you need to confess it. You say, all the time, all the time. Sometimes you have to confess several times a day, maybe 10 times, you know, maybe, I hope not, but if you're having to confess 50 times a day, you better get a better prayer life because that's a lot of sin, but we sin all the time. Why? Because in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good about our flesh. The only thing good about us is what's inside, and that's the Lord in our life, the holy place. So we have these two pieces of furniture, but notice the outer court, the furniture's not that great. It's beautiful. Why? It's the outer court. You know, it's amazing. We'll get up in the morning. We'll spend all kinds of time on the outer court. Why? We just really work on the outer court. We shave and we, you know, ladies put a little paint on or a little paint never hurts the old barn, you know, and we, we work on our chin and do I grow enough hair on my chin to cover that double chin? I have enough chins to be in a Chinese phone book. Do we, do we, do we, you know, is our hair just right? Is my breath going to be okay? But how much time do we spend on the holy place and the most holy place? I was struggling in my spiritual walk and I study the Bible a lot every day and yet I was struggling because I was, you know, in prayer and I was in scripture, but my soul was lacking. And I got some, a tip from a godly influence in my life about singing. You know, your soul is very important. And I began to sing every day and that's helped my soul. And so the next place we look at is the holy place in that we compare and scholars have told us for years and years that compares to our soul. The word soul is the Greek word psych. You know the word psychology, psychiatry. Heard a, a dumb preacher say a long time ago, no offense, but he said, bless God, we don't need psychologists. And I thought, I've said this before here, so you've heard this, right? I said, that's dumb. We need someone to take the logos and help the psych, to take the word of God and help our soul. Don't say something like that. It's okay to say we don't need secular psychologists. And let me say, when you go to a counselor, go to a, a, a Christian who can take the logos and help the psych. All right? Our psych is our soul. So don't say psychologists are bad. You could say this. We don't need secular, lost people to give us counsel. Right? We need Christian psychologists, pastors, and counselors. So that has nothing to do with the lesson. But the word psych is the word soul. And our soul is very, very important. The soul is the seat of our emotions. The soul is where we have the will and love and hate and right and wrong. 
It's very important that we minister to our soul. Peter said, abstain from filthy lust which war against the soul. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. The word soul is used interchangeably with mankind or life. In other words, someone who's, uh, uh, you know, sins, their soul is damned to hell because it's their, 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 their whole being goes to hell. You know, if, if you're not a believer, body, soul, and spirit are doomed. If you're a believer, your body one day is going to die, but your soul and spirit will be separated. We'll talk about that later as well. So here we move in now to the holy place and the holy place. And of course, you enter the holy place by going through a door and only the priest, I should say, you can't go in, but the priest could. Now we're all priests now, the Bible says. Okay, and we can go into the presence of God. But the priest is all that could go into the holy place. And inside the holy place, we have three pieces of furniture. The first one is the menorah, which is the next slide, the golden candlestick. And that's 125 pounds. Uh, that's what that weighs. It's heavy. It's gold covered, gold covered. Certainly worth more than the brass that was in the outer court. Now, this is not real gold or it'd be stolen by now. But here you have the menorah is what they call it. Now, you notice there's seven lamps. On the bottom of the main central stem would be a big bowl full of oil. And oil, you know, represents what? The Holy Spirit. And that, that oil would keep that central stem burning. And if it burned, the other six would burn. Well, seven, you know, is the number of completion. You'll have that in your notes. Six is the number of man. On the sixth day, God made man. And six, 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 and all the sixes you can find in the Bible. Six, without God, there's no light. With the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, the main, the head there, there's light. Jesus says to us, I'm the light of the world. But when he went away, he said, now ye are the light of the world. And so the golden candlestick speaks of, of light and him being the light of the world. And the Bible says to let our lights burn. Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 tells us the candlestick speaks of the church. The church. Seven churches, the number seven, all through Scripture, right? It speaks of the church in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. And I'll just go ahead and read that. It'll just take me a second to get there. Revelation 1, 20 says this. The mystery of the seven stars which I saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the candlesticks which I saw are the seven churches. So I'm going too fast. So you see the seven. And the seven is is what points to Jesus Christ as the light of the world, as the head of the church. And you can read it in Zechariah, it talks about the candlestick. But to me, it's just interesting how it speaks so much of Christ. Now, in your Bible, there are three Greek words translated light. Three Greek words. And we're not going to mention two of them, but one has to do with reflected light. You know, our moon's just a reflector. It's not really a light. It reflects the sunlight. So there's reflected light. Like you can look at a pond, uh, you know, and see the light off the pond. That, that's one kind of light. Then there's light that is supported by another source, like electric lights or battery or oil-operated lights. And then there's phos, or word phosphorus, direct light. And every time the Bible talks about the true light or references Jesus Christ as the light of the world, that's the word used there. You know, the sun, that's light, isn't it? Our sun's been burning for thousands of years. It keeps burning. And that's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is just continually burning. And when Jesus went away, he then said, now ye are the light of the world. 
And we're told to let our light so shine before men, they'll see uh, the Lord in our life. And I'm paraphrasing and giving you the short of that. So we find the golden candlestick. And then we move into the next uh, object lesson. We have the table of showbread. Again, it's, it's wood covered. The wood is a K.I. wood. You can also call it shittim wood, but I don't like to use that much. But that's another name you'll find for it. It's gold covered. Yeah, and remember David when he was hiding from the Philistines ate of this bread. It's really there to remind them of the Lord. And, and the Lord, we know, is our spiritual food and our fellowship. He is the bread of life. And the wood of the table represents humanity. The gold represents deity. You'll have that in your notes, but that's something really all scholars will tell you. And then we move from the table of showbread, the Jesus of bread of life, and move to the altar of incense. Remember when Zechariah was burning incense, God actually made him to where he couldn't speak uh, because God was unhappy with him because he didn't have the faith he should have and later he could speak. But he, that was his job, ministering, burning the incense. And the incense burned all the time. Priests had to take shifts and keep the altar burning all the time. What is that a type of? The smoke going up. It's a type of prayer. Pray without ceasing. And so the altar of incense is all about prayer. And uh, we know that Jesus Christ is our mediator who mediates for us. And I'm thankful for that. Because when we can't pray, the Bible says that the Spirit can pray for us. You know, if you're right with God and you get in a wreck and can't pray... Guess what? The Spirit can pray, and the Lord can intercede for you. So even when we can't pray, maybe we're in a coma, God still takes care of us because Jesus Christ is our advocate, and he's our mediator who ever lives to make what? Intercession for us, right? So we have here now, the, the next place is, is in a, back up, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, Lisa, but we noticed, I want to mention one more thing. You see the horns of the altar and the blood? They would go in there and put the blood on the horns of the altar whenever they made a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But this would burn all the time and the incense would please God. It was a type of prayer. Remember the Old Testament, they'd have the burnt offering? And that pleased God. That smoke would please God. And they had to burn the offering entirely. And remember when uh, Eli's sons would eat of the meat, they'd cook it medium rare, I guess, and eat it. And it made God angry and he judged them. Because God wanted the offering wholly burnt. There's different kinds of offerings that speak of different things. But the burnt offering pleased the Lord. It spoke of total sacrifice. Nothing for myself. All for the Lord. And our lives should be sacrificial. It should be all about Jesus. We shouldn't live unto ourselves but unto him. Thank you, Lisa. Let's go now into the most holy place. And the most holy place is entered only by the high priest through a veil. Now, the last place I didn't tell you was 15 cubits, uh, 10 cubits by 10, 15 cubits by 15 cubits, which is 30 by 30. The most holy place is 10 cubits by 10 cubits, which is 15 by 15. 15 feet by 15. A cubit was 18 inches, considered from the elbow to the, to the middle of the hand, and so that's what they called a cubit. And so this was 10 by 10, which is 15 feet by 15 feet. And only the priests could go in. He went in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And when he went into this place, he had a rope tied to one of his legs. Why? Because no one could go in there except the high priest. And when he went in once a year, he had to be right with God. His sin had to be confessed or he'd be struck dead if he went in there. You remember all the Old Testament stories. You couldn't even touch the ark. 
I mean, they had to carry it on staves, which is long bars. They couldn't touch it. If you touched it, even by accident, you were dead. It was the place of God. The Shekinah glory cloud was dwelling in the ark. Now the Shekinah glory is in your heart, by the way. But we know that the most holy place is a place where the high priest, you see the ephod on his shoulder, the breastplate with the 12 stones and all that. And that's Mr. Mr. Uh, Anna, uh, Mr. Akin. His first name is Man, Man Akin. Uh, that's deep. That's deep. But uh, obviously, that's a mannequin. But uh, that first one leaning against the wall, I thought that's the worst looking mannequin I've ever seen. But anyway, he, he's the high priest and he's the only one that could go in. He went in once a year. Now, if they accepted the sacrifice, if God accepted the sacrifice, he'd begin to dance. He would dance and the bells at the bottom of his garment would let everyone know their sin. The payment was accepted in all of Israel to begin to rejoice. But I'd be scared to be the high priest. I certainly would keep my sin confessed, wouldn't you? Well, then pause a minute and let me make this application. What about when you have sin in your life and you go to God and you hadn't confessed it? Be sure and confess your sins. Make sure that God is willing to hear you. And I've gone so fast, we couldn't always make all the applications, but I didn't want you to be here forever. As Elizabeth Taylor said to her seventh husband, I'm not going to keep you very long. I don't want to keep you too long tonight, right? So here is the most holy place, and that is equivalent to our spirit, our spirit. And so the furniture here is better because this is the closest to get to God. Remember the outer court? You had the bronze, then the gold covered. Now you have the Ark of the Covenant. You have the solid gold mercy seat. And this is the experience that only the high priest could go into the presence of God. But we can go into the presence of God. But, you know, it's important that you've already gone through the process, that you, your sin's been paid for, that initial offering, and that you've been washed by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and that you wash daily. And then you have a time where you feed on the Lord, the Lord's Supper. And when we feed on the bread of the word of God and, and the light, the light of the world, and we pray and offer that incense, all those things have to be right for you to go any further. Do you know most Christians don't experience a time where they're very close to God because they never get to that point? Some of them are still living a life in the outer court. And lost people haven't even been to that altar. So to get to the most holy place, we need to understand we have to come through the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be regenerated. Our sins have to be washed. So here we have the most holy place and the best materials. It's the greatest and closest experience we have to the Lord. And of course, we know that we can have access now. We can boldly go into his presence because of what's been done on Calvary. Isn't that great? So you can confess your sin and go to be in the presence of God. Now, when we die, what happens? Our body is abandoned <laughs> by our inner man. Let's look at some verses now. And we're almost done. We'll be done just a few minutes after six. But Luke 23, 46 Luke 23, 46, we're going to look at a few more passages, and then we'll close. And I know I went fast. I don't know if we tape this. I certainly don't want to repeat it. Uh, but uh, if uh, you need anything, I'll help you with that. But in Luke chapter 23, 46, and I hope you were able to, uh, you know, it's just something we could spend weeks on, but I just wanted to give you uh, an overview. Luke 23, 46 
And notice what it says here about the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, before salvation, we have an evil spirit. Our spirit is evil. And our spirit needs to be saved. And the Holy Spirit is, the, is what can move into and take residence up in our spirit and change us. But man is an evil spirit, and man is destined to do evil. And look at two more verses, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Before Song of Solomon, the little book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, and all go into one place, all of the dust, and all return to the dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward into the earth. So at death, our body goes back to dust, but our spirit goes to one of two places. Then we look at chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. We know our spirit is separated from our body. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 7. Then the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. You see the separation. We know that. You've already known that. But let me tell you something. If you want to experience a close relationship with God, you need to approach God on his terms. Repentance and faith in the Lamb Jesus Christ. Continual confession, praying on a regular basis, praying without ceasing, feeding on the word of God. And when you begin to do those things, you'll draw closer to God. And when you get in his presence and you feel his presence and you know you're as close as you've ever been, that's a time to not only talk to God, but to listen. Years ago, I used to pray and I would pray and I'd get done praying and I'd get up and I'd pop on my feet and go my merry way until a godly person said to me, Dan, what I suggest you do is wait after you're done talking and just listen. Just meditate and listen to what God has for you. Some of the greatest direction in my life has been when I just sat there with my big mouth shut. I've asked him, I've begged him, I've confessed, and he'll give me some of the greatest ideas. And the peace of God that comes over you is just a wonderful experience. And I know those of you that experience it, if you're walking with Christ, you understand that's a wonderful thing to have the peace of God dwelling in your body because you're approaching God on his terms. And so here we get now to the Ark of the Covenant. We have it. You saw the Shekinah glory. Here is a, again, the Achaia wood covered in gold, which is the Ark. And then on top of that, the solid gold mercy seat with the solid gold cherubims. Notice the cherubims are angelic creatures with wings. That's where we get the idea of angels having wings. But of course, angels can appear as men. They can appear in many forms. Satan can appear in many forms, and so can angels. And so that's where we get the idea of wings. But notice the solid gold. And on the Day of the Atonement, they put the blood on top of that mercy seat to cover it. The word atonement means covering. It would temporarily cover the sin of the people. The New Testament word is different. It's the word propitiation, which means payment. Why? 
Because the Old Testament was just a temporary covering every year. Didn't take care of sin until Jesus died. When Jesus died, our sin's taken care of once for all. And it's propitiated. It's not just a tone. So on the Day of the Atonement, they'd cover that. And uh, we know that the ark is, of course, the talk of so many. But do you know if we found the ark today, it wouldn't be special. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, he said, Ichabod, the glory's departed. And the glory left the ark and left the most holy place. And the glory now resides in you. The Lord's in you. The Shekinah glory is in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so we find here the importance is, is that you are the temple of God. But this ark is, as we said, it contains three pieces of furniture. Uh, Revelation 21, 3, we already read, the tabernacle is with men. Jeremiah 3.16, he says in Jeremiah 3.16, that when Jesus comes again, no one will talk about the ark anymore. When Jesus comes back, he sets up his kingdom. Who's going to talk about the ark? Here's Jesus. That ark's just going to be an empty box. If we found it today, it'd be just an empty box. They'd probably try and rip the gold off it. Certainly people want to find that mercy seat for the money in it. But the fact of the matter is, what's special is the Lord Jesus Christ's presence in our life. And he's no longer in that ark, but he was. And in the ark, we have several things. The two tables of stone. The law, of course, we know. And we know that uh, the two tables of stone speak of the Lord because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Can you? Yeah. And you see the three things in the ark. The two tables of stone speak of the law. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Then Aaron's rod that budded. And we're, we're told in scripture that that speaks of the resurrection numbers, chapter 17. The resurrection. And, and actually, it's had to be amazing that that rod continued to bud for hundreds of years. And the manna didn't get moldy and rotten. Now, that doesn't look like manna because I understand as studying scripture, manna is white. And, uh, but obviously, that's, that's some fake manna there. But we know that, that those three things were in the ark and they all spoke of something great. We know the pot spoke of manna, the bread of life. Several things about manna, it was small, which speaks of humility. And Jesus Christ, of course, is humble. It's round, which speaks of eternity. And he is, of course, eternal. It's white, which speaks of purity. And he, of course, is sinless. And we said already Aaron's rod spoke of the resurrection and the law spoke of the word becoming flesh. And then the mercy seat, solid gold speaks of the deity of Christ. And you can study all this in Exodus chapter 25. We've already explained the winged creatures. But we know our great high priest made a propitiation once for all, and we never have to worry about any of this anymore. It's interesting to see in that how it pointed ahead to Jesus Christ. But aren't you thankful Jesus took care of it all one time on Calvary? And I think about, you know, the fact that we don't have to fear him Oh, we fear him when we sin. But when we want to talk to God, Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. And when we repent to be saved, he listens. And when we confess daily, he listens. He's our friend. We don't have to fear him. We can go into his presence with boldness because of what he did, not because of what we did. And I think about the fact that he is our great high priest. He makes intercession for us. He's in the heavenly sanctuary. He offers us a, a new and better covenant. His promises are better. He's the only mediator. He's redeemed us with his own blood. He shed his blood once for all. Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews 8 and 9, is our great high priest.
whoever lives to make intercession for us. I am exhausted, mentally tired. <laughs> That's it for tonight. All right. Thank God for the tabernacle. Amen. And uh, I know I had to go fast, but I wanted to, you know, get you a little glimpse of it. And I can provide you with notes and some great books. Alfred Edersheim, great books on the Temple Tabernacle. M.R. DeHaan, Stephen Olford all have great stuff. And when you study the Temple and Tabernacle, remember they're interchangeable. The Temple's just more permanent. The Tabernacle was made specifically, certain dimensions, everything, every detail. The Temple was not, but God still met in the Temple till Jesus said Ichabod. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for our lesson tonight. And I just pray, God, this would be a learning experience. And Lord, while maybe we aren't stirred emotionally tonight, maybe our will has not been challenged, I pray that this will sink in and we'll realize how holy you are and how difficult it was to come into your presence. And yet, you rent the veil from top to bottom and made it accessible to us. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. God bless you.